recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 232, is recorded live March 5th, 2015. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from Michigan, where we have just ventured into the beginning of March, which to me means that spring should be almost here, but you cannot tell it by this week. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm doing very well, and as just a continuation of your weather report there, uh, you realize we set the 160-year-old record yesterday. Uh, what Record for what? For the... Highest cold day. The way they phrase it is really weird for basically saying, for this time of year, this is the cold that's it's been consistently in March in 160 years. Ah, yeah, it's, it's all that gold, global warming coming to get us. I just, I just turned me out. Yeah. <laughs> and considering we're supposed to have, what, 50 next Friday? 50, wow. 50, I don't know what that sounds like. I mean, it sounds good, but. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't sound too bad. I, I take some 50 degree weather. Yeah, t-shirt weather, man. Damn. <laughs> that wouldn't, wouldn't take long. Oh, I, it, It's been cold. I mean, it really just has genuinely been cold. And I thought when we did the ice dive that we were just going to sneak one in before it got warm. But yes, I, it I'd is. still like to get one, you know, another one in, but, you know, it's 50-degree weather. Yeah, I'd pretty I, I nice dive for spring. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah I will that. And if I said otherwise, I'd have people hurt me. <laughs> we come, they come looking for you. Oh, yeah. Actually, you, because they don't know me. They do <laughs> oh, know they, you. Yeah, I guess I, maybe I need to go in the podcaster protection program or something. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Before we do that, I'd like to thank everybody who's listening in the chat room and everybody who follows us, downloads us. You're just as important, but probably not as much fun as people in the chat room would have. First article up is Chicken of the Sea. Latino USA plans to stop buying dive caught Honduran lobsters. Five U.S. companies recently notified Honduran government that they are no longer planned to buy the lobster from the sea that are caught using scuba divers or tanks. Chicken of the Sea, gosh, is that their name? Chicken of the Sea, Latino USA, Harbor Seafood, Intra-American Trading Product, and Red Lobster all sent a letter notifying the government of this decision. They oppose the catch method since it affects the welfare of Honduran divers due to the high incident of accidents, which that's a follow, that, that kind of follows up on the article we had. And that's been getting a lot of uh, press in the last couple of years of how, how many of those divers are coming up with the bends. Yeah, I would say adverse. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to look that up on that uh, undercurrent news, but it was all in uh, maybe Spanish or Portuguese or something. I could not interpolate it. I, I think I can read that. Right. Yeah, of course. Oh, I'll go to the link. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I, don't, I, can. I can't. I, I can't. Well, I can. I can make sounds that represent letters. I don't know if it's legible. Maybe somebody who knows. I don't even know what country this is. Oh, that's Honduran. So, what do they speak in Honduran? I don't know. That's why. I said Portuguese and or you know Spanish. But I, I, I don't know. I I, I want to say Spanish, but it could be Portuguese. The, 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 heading, the heading says al frente, which sounds like something you get at a stand along the road. You know, they deep fry it, put some ice cream on it. Okay, if you say so. And then let's see. So it's Los Autoridos de la Sacacacha, Mosquitos, Atacos. <laughs> I don't know. That's why we have you here. Chico de Banana. Yeah. Yeah, see, that, that, that multilingual that I've got there. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, so they link back to the article. But about the only thing I can read, which is the, the parts that they they leave in English, which is, says chicken of the sea. Yeah. But they do have a few photos of the, the divers. They yeah, don't look like spiny lobsters as opposed to the claw type that we're used to. Yeah, yeah, spiny lobster, and the guy's using, what, like a little pole or something? That's for getting them out of the premises, probably. Yeah. And then he wears the old uh, round traditional dive mask. He's at a tank, and then he's wearing like a Abercrombie and Fitch T-shirt or something. Yeah, I did find it interesting that when you did do a search on that, 
you really didn't find too much on it, so it's got to be low-key. Undercurrent was the only one I noticed even had stuff on it, plus, you know, the articles down there. Mm-hmm. Well, for them, that's got to be a, a huge impact to their economy. I mean, you got to think that one reason the government wasn't doing anything about it was that was they were making more money by allowing it to continue than to address it. Yeah. Because you could you could require training, so you have to go through certifications and and get that. But you know, they probably didn't have the resources to police it. Yeah, I, I was curious to see if we could find any any stats on what they were having. But as I recollect that we had talked about this a couple of months ago, the fatality rate was not necessarily that bad. It was injuries. I mean, right. I mean, it's it just as bad being crippled for life. Yeah, they weren't many old divers that were active. Uh, they were repeatedly having injuries. They were going back down while still injured. So it wasn't a, a good situation for them down there. It's too bad because if they had done it correctly, it's a good source of income for them. Yeah. It was a multiple wreck or multiple dives they were making in one day to outrageous depths. Yeah. And I don't know how they would not have gotten killed, all of them, much less just badly injured. Yeah. Well, they're becoming human dive tables. Yeah. Just about. And we have new rules at Manatee Mecca to protect the manatees. This one is out of Gainesville. The Gainesville Sun is reporting this. On Thursday, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services announced additional measures to protect the uh, marine mammal. The new rules will go into effect on Monday. On Monday. Monday. On Monday, the new rules ban canoes, kayaks, and large inflatables from spring areas. Swimmers will also be kept out of the two of the three spring heads where manatees congregate. When water temperatures in the surrounding bay dips, the water gushing from the vents is 72 degrees, giving the temperature-sensitive animals a place to keep warm during the winter. Underwater flash photography is now banned, so not to disturb the resting animals. When you have 400 manatees and 2,000 visitors a day, in one and a half acres, you get chaos. It's a circus. This is according to Ivan Vincent who has been with the Coastal River National Wildlife Refuge for nine years. Three Sisters is within the refuge, and its popularity has exploded because of the natural beauty of the clover-shaped springs, the shallow, clear water, and a chance to swim with the manatees. When I first started here, there were no issues. Combined, there were probably 13 operators that offered snorkel and scuba. Now we have 41 tour operators in the area. Holy mackerel. Okay, I can see the congestion there. Yeah, forty. So forty-one tour operators focusing on an acre and a half spot. So how big is Singer Lake? This is a reference. Well, my my two of my yards is an acre there. Yeah. Well, well my property is like, my property is twelve acres. So we're talking like from my house to the road. Wow. That is as much area as those manatees are, and that, so I can understand the manatees. With they're, they're getting cold. Uh, it, it can be fatal for them if they, they can't stay warm, so they get to these spring heads where it's 72 degrees, and they warm up, so they pack up pretty tight. So I can certainly see that. I, I was thinking that they're just talking about manatees in general, but if they limit this to during these sensitive times, I, I can certainly understand that. In the last decade, visitors of parks have jumped from about 60,000 to more than 200,000 per year. majority of those visitors pack in the springs from November 15th to March 31st, which is considered manatee season. Wow. Keeping paddlers from the springs will minimize the chances of them bumping the manatees and the humans. So what it looks like you're trying to do is is reduce the opportunity for people to bump them and to scare them away from the springs. Well, you figure figure they breed, what, once every two years and generally only a single cat. So you really can't afford to uh, make them any more endangered than they already are. And I don't think I've ever seen a man who didn't have scars on their back. No, no, they always they always seem to. You know the the props, which mm-hmm. I don't understand why they just don't make requirements if you're if you're going to be traversing in Manatee rivers that you go with a prop propless outboard. Well, they must have some kind of. I mean, if they go from protected area through channels and rivers out to the sea, it'd be a little hard to make that kind of blanket item well i'm not saying everywhere in florida but there there's these areas you know where they're you consider them a manatee river just require that i mean with with the cost of a boat that's insignificant that little bit extra if it's that bad of a problem they're talking about uh crystal river here which is one of the places where i've gone diving i haven't gotten in the water with the manatees i I wouldn't mind it but we 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 had plenty of diving opportunity without that I think Bob and uh, Maggie were there a couple of years ago. They came back with some really, really nice videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, though, they were really, really tight on don't touch, don't encourage, don't feed. 
And uh, they had a lot of restrictions back then, but it sure was not as busy as it is now. No. Well, what they were talking about was you know, they made all these rules about you had to not harass the manatee, but the manatee really wanted to come and interact with you. Right. They, they were talking about, I, I read an article saying the main causes of death to the manatees are human-related issues, and a lot of it is habitat destruction, meaning we're building and encroaching on their environment, and human objects. And I, that I can't, I had to be being ran over by boats, blood objects like the boat hulls, things like this. And they were talking about the big one for natural causes, adverse temperature and disease, but we're way up there on why they're dying off. And Well, here they're saying the springs came under control of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in 2010. The property is managed by the Crystal River National Wildlife Refuge. The spring sits on a 57-acre parcel of undeveloped property, the parcel surrounded by homes that sit on canals carved into the area. The new rules were compromised between doing nothing and closing the springs entirely during the manatee season. We believe the measure will help solve some of the issues, but they are no means the ultimate fix to the situation. We're looking at additional measures and plan on working with those throughout the year. Well, bottom line, is the United States Geological Study, they looked at some of this and predicted that their situation is extremely grave. Um, they're talking, and here's a quote they had is, in the absence of any new management action, that is, the boat mortality rates continue to increase at the rates observed, the situation in Atlantic Southwest regions is dire with no chance of meeting recovery criteria within 100 years. That's not good. Now, they're saying hurricanes, cold stress, red tide poisoning um, threaten the manatees, but again, far greatest danger is watercraft strikes. And I think they, they attributed a quarter of the manatee death in Florida to that. So watercraft uh, yep. vessels running into them. Yeah. I did find the other aspect. They were talking about red tides, mm-hmm. uh, you know, proliferation of blooms of the microscopic marine algae. Uh, that's a big issue, not only down in Florida, but remember we were having that in Lake Huron, Lake Erie. Yeah, that's a big uh, thing. And, and I didn't get the article. I, that we probably should search for it. But uh, we've got some state grants going on right now that are, are dealing with that, where they're providing money. Maybe, did we cover this? I, we might have mentioned it, because I think I talked about it after we were uh, yeah. encouraged to talk a little more environmental. Yeah. Uh, we had looked at that, and as far as it goes in Michigan, the last week, just the last week alone, they've been three major articles, and two of them by our own uh, representative in our mm-hmm. area here, talking about water quality. They were they keep saying, we keep talking about doing studies on trying to stop invasive species such as the, the carp. The comment was, but we're not doing anything. All we're doing is talking, and it'll be, oh, now they're here, and we spent 10 years talking about it instead of knowing it's going to happen, doing something about it. Yeah. The other one was uh, the toxins, the groundwater, not groundwater, but the fertilizers and stuff leach yes. into to the waters. So they've got a new program to minimize that. And then even today, I believe, um, uh, I'll think of his name in a second, but they were talking about their banning uh, microbeads materials that contain microbeads uh, for this area yeah. so they can't be leaching back out to the Great Lakes, which they've already done. Yeah, because they've determined that those microbeads, they just go everywhere, and they don't have any idea if they break down and everything ingests them because they, they're just so small. Right, right. and then you're ingesting what the fish ate, and they don't know long-term effects from that because then it's in your body. Yeah. Well, some of this stuff I don't think we we really need. There's other alternatives to it, so just we don't need it. Uh, in fact, you, you can use walnut shells and other things. Yeah, and that was one that they specifically mentioned. Yeah, so so the, there's there's other things they can do. They do. It's not like it's an expense, a huge expense. I think at one point they considered it to be a advantage of the microbeads because you, know, you can control the size, the consistency, and they get real small. But uh, there's there's other ways around it. And, and you're starting to see a lot of uh, businesses have decided that. Uh, you know, a more natural approach is beneficial and more profitable. In fact, McDonald's just this week was announcing that they're removing, uh, you know, hormones from many of the the, the food streams. So uh, they're banning milk that's, yeah, that's that was, coming in. Yeah, to your program, and they went through it. It's quite extensive. Yeah, I, I did. I read quite an article on it earlier today, and McDonald's says that the challenge that they have is that because they're so large, they got so many stores and so many suppliers, they just can't get up one day and go, you know what, we're not going to allow it. Because you would, you know, the business would just collapse. You have to, you know, negotiate with your suppliers, tell them what you're trying to do, let them come up with alternatives, 
uh, keep the supply chain going and you can correct it. So even when you decide that you're doing something that you don't think is right, either for moral reasons or for marketing reasons, it it takes time to turn the ship, so to speak. So they, they've gone and, and enacted that. But the uh, back on, on what we're seeing locally here is there's some grant money and it's down to the level where farmers are able to apply it. And so if you've got some property and it slants to the river and you have cows grazing on it, they will, you know, it's usually like a 50-50 split. So if it costs you $1,000 to change the grade to protect the water runoff from coming into the creek and, uh, you know, the feces of the, of the animals, uh, you can get 50% of that back. So that's some of the grants that are out there. Uh, I think some of it is just identifying the spot so that the farmers would know where it is. Yeah. Uh, and then, like in my area, I'm I, my my property. I've you know my small 12 acres is I'm actually in two drainage districts. So coming up this year, they're going to be redoing the ditches. And one of my complaints with the ditches is it's okay that you're trying to do these ditches to drain water that you know crests over the road and affects crops. But all we do is we make it a race out to Lake Michigan. How fast can we get that water to move where it needs to naturally stop and and percolate in? So they just shouldn't be doing ditches or or culverts to drain this water. They need to be giving it some time to move through. I mean, even making some creeks where, you know, make a swamp. Take 40 acres, have a creek empty into the swamp and let it percolate through there before it continues on. Yeah, quit draining the bogs. Yeah, and that would that would help out immensely of it not making it to Lake Michigan. Yeah, because the swamp will you can have extra nutrients in the swamp, and all it will do is stink more and uh, break down. But I mean, that's what they're for, and we we've done a good job at removing those. That's how we made a lot of the the land financially viable for farming. Well, and a lot of the land went away when we put in major roads when we're doing parking lots. Yeah, uh, we, we didn't help ourselves there. Yeah. Well, one thing you, you're starting to see, and I'm, I kind of be curious to see we see it on a larger scale, is some of these porous parking lots where you can you can uh, have a less dense concrete where water can percolate through, or they use a paver where there's gaps between the pavers so it will percolate down. Hmm. Well, some other local to us here in Michigan news, we, this is actually in Indiana, the Port County Scuba Team is conducting its first training session. The duly formed Port County Scuba Team conducted the training session with countywide team members. The unit consists of seven members from the Michigan City Police Scuba Team and members of the Port County Scuba Team. The, the merger was created in a cooperative effort with the Michigan City Police Department, Chief Mark Swiss Tech, and the Port County Sheriff John Boyd. Team participants in two night training exercises of ice water rescues, which simulates persons who have fallen in the water from walking on the shelf ice. The hosting went well, and they were using the location was at the United States Coast Guard uh, in Michigan City. So the, this the units n- newly formed, but they've got experienced members. Yes, yeah. and this makes sense, because if you probably because we've seen that here in Berrien County, every fire department had a dive team. And we've got some pretty small fire departments in the county. So you, you've seen a lot of that move to the uh, a county based. And down there, they've actually taken two counties and are having them together. So they must have looked and seen the number of events and said, you know, we really don't need to have two separate teams to do that. And when we do need it, they probably benefit from having uh, the skills and background. Generally, when we have the rescue team, it's really most often a recovery. Yeah. The, uh, believe it or not, the winter part is... I think whenever they are more rescue than during the summer. Yeah, yeah. Because after you know during the ice, if you can survive 30 minutes, you're usually saved. Yeah, if you if you don't drown instantly yeah. or die from a heart attack, you you can be pulled out. You're going to have a good case of hypothermia, but there's a chance. And then it seems to be the younger you are, the better chance you have of surviving. Well, uh, the, the chance there is dependent. Did you have a life vest on? Did you have flotation? If you had flotation. Your chance of being rescued, I mean, in living, is way up the roof. Not having it, it's average about seven minutes. Yeah. And that happens all year round. Yeah. That's what most people don't realize, is that if you're on a boat, it doesn't matter. You've been on the boat 40 years and an excellent swimmer. When you get knocked out, you're down. Well, not even that. If you're far enough offshore that you can swim the shore, but by the time you get there, you're going to expend more energy getting there lower your body temperature, and you're still naked, almost naked, but not quite. And then you're not in volunteer. Volunteer for what? I'm sorry. I think you're going to volunteer. You're going to be a member. But I would. Uh, it's a little ways away from me. 
you know, go back to you. Be more, I think for us, it'd be more you'd be available because you're going to, in cold water, you just can't spend the time doing search. Yeah, unfortunately, that's too often. Yeah. So what, what's the beer? Um, how, how long is, what's a shelf life of beer? I know it wasn't too many years ago when they started adding those bronze dates. So they had born on date that they said, you know, best if drank by, you know, March 15th, 2015. Yeah. I'm thinking this next article that that beer went just a little past whatever. The, oh. 170 year old shipwreck beer. And they said, when you're, when you're picking out a beer, what flavors are you looking for? And, uh, and this particular beer, which is 170 years old, they said that some of the, the scents were a hint of soured milk, burnt rubber, or a goatee taste. I'm not thinking that's what I really go for in the beer. When they say acquired taste, I really think they meant acquired taste. Then. Well, I'm I'm thinking 170 years. You might not be an acquired taste. It might be a fatal taste. Uh, it was aged for 170 years in the bottom of the Baltic Sea. Scientists recently opened up the bottles from the beer the shipwreck off the coast of Finland to get a profile for the 19th century beers. Some seawater had seeped into the bottles, and decades of bacterial activity gave the beer some rather unpleasant notes. <laughs> Enough of the compounds in the drink survived that researchers were able to tell the beer, the beer's original flavors probably would have been quite similar to the modern beers. According to a new report, the bottles came from 165 feet, 50 meters below the surface of the Baltic. The wreckage of a schooner that sank near Finland's Åland Islands in 1840. In 2010, divers found 150 bottles of champagne to wreck, as well as five beer bottles, although one did not survive the journey back to land when the bottles broken the diver's boat, it started to foam, and some gastronomically adventurous divers attested the liquid indeed tasted like beer. I, I have still problems with it. You stick your finger in it, you're going to stick it on your tongue, but from what we know about, you know, Bakelite, rubber, you know, lousy cheese, how you can say that even remotely tastes like beer is beyond me. Yeah, so they say that uh, the right mixture was smells yeast extract, dimethyl sulfide, which is kind of a cabbage smell, Bakelite, kind of retro plastic, burnt rubber, overripe cheese, sulfur. Yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking that these are really all the most savory options I would have for beer. The beers are also bright golden yellow with a little haze. They may have been diluted by seawater by up to 30%, the researchers said, so drinks may have been stronger than their current alcohol levels by volume of 2.8 to 3.2. That's pretty good, though. You consider that long, what's this, 170 years old? They said there was unusually low levels of 3-methylbutyl acetate, uh, which is a compound that gives beer notes of banana in both bottles. It's possible that the chemical concentration plummeted over such a long period of aging. Well, that's what I thought, looking at you all. Mm. If you took a brand-new beer and you diluted it 30% while seawater, what, what do you think that beer is going to taste like? It tastes like crap. <laughs> right. And you Even fresh beer. about drinking that. Yeah. I'm not surprised it didn't taste good. Well, we well we have that recent example. Remember that bottle of Bailey's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that uh, bottle of Bailey's, I would say, would be would would you say less than ten years old? Yeah. Now I didn't personally taste it, but what did you think it tasted like? I didn't taste it either. But we had Mr. Uh, well, we had we had one of our other divers, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> other divers, taking over and open it, and uh, he opened it and he said opening it was sufficient to tell him that it was not a good thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, you getting that, that nose. What, what does putrid taste like? Putrid? Putrid. Uh, I can I can describe several things that would be putrid. Uh, I think rotting flesh from a dead body. But, uh, yeah, putrefaction. Yeah, that would, that would be pretty bad. So he said it was putrid. Yeah. And see, in, in one aspect, we because that was you found that in Pawpaw? Uh, let's see, where did I find that? I really don't remember if that was Pawpaw or the river. Okay. Cause it's, I, I guess if it wasn't, how deep maybe? Do you remember? Not less than not you know not more than thirty feet. Thirty feet seems like it would still be pretty cold most of the year. Yes. Yeah. So it just makes you think that maybe the uh, you know thirty feet maybe under enough pressure for it to leak through. Well, I think well Bailey's has milk products, and I don't yeah. think milk under any circumstance is going to be good after yeah. ten years. Yeah, Bailey's is not known to have a long shelf life. Uh, and, you know, and that's why we drink it so readily here. You know, we, we want to make sure it doesn't go bad. Was that readily or rapidly? Uh, both. Okay. Uh, now, you know, we talked about uh, Alan, uh, former Paul Allen, the former Microsoft executive, and he's got that big yacht. Yeah. He, said, you know, he could use it for scuba diving here. Well, it looks like he had been doing some shipwreck hunting. 
He found the uh, massive shipwreck of a Japanese World War II battleship off the Philippines, where it sank more than 70 years ago. This is according to him on Wednesday, uh, yesterday. Uh, and let's see if I can slaughter the battleship's name. Uh, Mashasha? Mashai? Masushi? I let you have that privilege on yourself. I'll just say Japanese she, battleship. So, well, the, the, I'm pretty sure the last SHI, that's got to be she. Sashi. Musashi? Musashi? Sashi? Even that doesn't. Uh, I'm looking at the letters, it doesn't sound right. Uh, Alan and the team aboard his super yacht, the MY Octopus, found the ship on Sunday, more than eight years after their search began. He said wow. this in a statement issued by his publicity agent, uh, Edelman. Detailed images captured by high definition cameras mounted on an underwater probe confirmed the wreckage. Alan said in his website that the video and still images showed a valve wheel with Japanese letters saying main valve handle which used to be in the lower engineering area, a catapult system used to launch planes, a large gun turret, and one of the ship's two 15-ton anchors. He said the team also found the ship's bow. Japanese experts said they were eager to study the images to confirm the ship's identity. Uh, Kashushi's Dakota, head of the private museum specializing in the battleship Yamato, uh, which is the ship's sister vessel, said the details of the images matched those. Uh, of the other battleship which sank in the area. Judging from the location, it must be the ship. It was commissioned in 1942, sank in October 1944, while it was still brand new. Uh, it was in during the Battle of the Light, losing half of the 2,400 crew members. Elm's team found the battleship at a depth of one kilometer. Wow, so that's, that's outside the uh, diving range then. Yeah, 3,280 feet. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Well, I'm just looking down some of this other stuff. He said, uh, uh, Alan is fascinated with the World War II history. After being inspired by his father's service in the U.S. Army, he was honored to play his part in finding the key vessel naval history and honoring the memory of those who served aboard the ship. Uh, well, I know it was the second ship of the Yamato, Yamato class of Imperial Navy Japanese battleships. She was sunk by an estimated 19 torpedo and 17 bomb hits from an aircraft carrier, American aircraft carrier, during the Battle of the Lazy Belt. Yeah, that's, uh, that took a lot to put her down, didn't it? That's a, oh, yeah, that's a massive amount. Because yeah, they're thick. I mean, battleships back when they, in their day, were just a lot of steel. Well, she was 862 feet long. 121 feet was her beam. Her draft was 86 feet. She displayed 65,000 tons, and she had 2,500 Enlisted men and crew. And when she sank, she had 2,800 on board. She could do 27 knots, a range of 7,200 miles, at a speed of 16 knots. And she had uh, nine 45 caliber. She had, oh, oh, okay, they say 45 cal, but not like a pistol. Type 94 guns and three triple turrets. They fired a shell that weighed 3,220 pounds armor piercing to a range of 46,000 yards. They were the largest caliber guns ever fitted on a ship. Can you imagine that's like tossing the car at you? Oh, yeah. Of shell. Oh, yeah, easily. I, I can remember seeing uh, some documentation showing how big some of those were, and that's it's exactly what it, they look like. You, know, you put wheels on it, and you could be driving it around. Man. Well, the waterline armor was 16 inches thick at the waterline. It's just amazing that something that that's massive, made of that much steel, and you think about it, can still float. Well, it can float, and then the amount of energy that you use to move it, because this is pre-nuclear power. So you're using, what, probably oil burners? Yeah. They're probably using bunker oil, that big, thick tar stuff, and you just heat up as much. Would, would they use steam? Would it be steam-driven, or would they use diesel engines? Uh, I would think you'd have to use steam. I don't that know. have four sets of Campton-geared steam turbines, yeah. each which drove one propeller shaft, produced yeah. 15... 150,000 shaft horsepower. So they had 12 boilers, again, max speed of 27 knots. Oh, fuel oil, uh, let's see, 54, yeah, 6,400 tons of fuel oil, given at that range I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And some of the thickness on the plating up on uh, top side was 21 inches thick deterrence. I yeah. just can't even think of how heavy that thing is. That is just massive. Well, they found it. There'll be some research, and hopefully, we'll see a few specials on it. Somebody will come through and. How deep do you say that was? See that one out. Uh, that was at was it two thousand feet? One thousand feet? Yeah, I've already closed it. Well, I just found some some pictures of it. Actually, the Sunday, March first, two thousand fifteen images. 
Yeah, he he took quite a bit, and he's going to release them. And and the next uh, some of the follow up articles I had the Philippine the Philippine government is in the process of verifying news of the reports. They're excited about the discovery. Well, and, you know, it does show that if you have a little money, you can buy some good gear. You know that Alan is uh, the 51st richest man in the world. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he owns, uh, you know, uh, let's see, was he on basketball team? Uh, he may, does he own the Seattle Seahawks? Is that his team as well? Uh, I'm not sure. I know he's worth a minimum of 17.5 billion dollars. Yeah, he he doesn't have to worry about money. But even with all that money, eight years. Oh yeah. I mean, he spent eight years looking for it. Now I'm I'm assuming it wasn't solid eight years. But even so, that takes effort. I mean, you could you just can't give up. No. Well, I didn't realize that he launched Spaceship One either. He was a, the first privately built spacecraft in the yeah. suborbital. He did. Yeah, he was studying the who's that Bert. Uh, is that his name? I, I know who you're talking about. I just can't think of that. Yeah, he had all sorts of unique facial hair. Uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, I think he, that was. Yeah, that was one of his guys who was doing that. It is interesting. I was looking at another article on it, and let me see where it's from. It's MSN News, but the comments on it, uh, which were a lot, were not necessarily favorable. It was but, interesting. Why, why would they be negative? They upset at him? It, some of the comments made about the, the craft and the sailors and stuff, and on one half, at, uh, this is just your top comment, incredible bravery of the men who served the border. Then it was WTF. These were mortal enemies in every way, as evil as the Nazis and the ISS, ISIS. Since when do we term those who have committed vile and evil acts while taking tens of thousands of American lives as brave? And said, fight me, Mr. Allen. They killed three of my dad's cousins and my wife's uncle in POW camps more than blah, blah. But it's interesting. Well, I mean, that, they do that. We've had, you know, the the war ended. We went and helped them rebuild and create an economy and contribute. So you can understand the feeling. But our, you know, how I guess it, it goes back to, you know, were they evil? Were, were, were they all evil? You know, the comment here is the war is over. Japan is now one of our closest allies. Get a grip. Yeah. So I can say it. The war is over. ISIS is one of our closest allies. Get a grip. I don't think so. At the moment, it is a concern, and it isn't get a grip because that's just the way it is. I mean, every, I mean, you can see that about all after you know 50 years down the road. Yeah. At the time, it ain't fun. Oh, uh, something else that didn't quite make it, but uh, I, I as, as part of my research this week, actually, I can't say part of the research. It's uh, this came through at work. We're we're putting the book. Uh, and it's for a publisher, and the book is on, have you heard of Operation, I think it was Code Red, and this was done in the 30s, like from 32 to 38, and what it involved was the United States doing battle plans for a war with Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Under what reasoning? Well, the reasoning was is that they were they were, thought that they may have to fight Canada uh, as a kind of like a proxy of a war against Great Britain. And some of the extended plans would be a a dual uh, Pacific and Atlantic war with Great Britain on one side and Japan on the other. So this was in the 30s. And then they stopped updating it in the mid-40s because they considered it an unlikely scenario by that point in time. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be a sidebar here for a second. Did you realize that Harrison, actor Harrison Ford was uh, injured in a small plane crash? Yeah, I think he's trying to make sure he doesn't do any more sequels. Yeah, he was uh, he was flying there. Uh, I don't know if it was near. He he kind of crashed or skidded off the runway into a golf course. Yeah, I just saw the picture here. It says Akram sits up to crash landing at the Pinmar Golf Course in Venice, California, mm-hmm. March 5th. I don't know why I didn't hear about it before now. I think it uh, just happened. Whatever that meant. Yeah, he's he's hospitalized currently because of this. I didn't realize he was 72 years old either. Oh yeah, he's he's getting up there. Wow. Yeah, but he and then they're talking about uh he's he's got a, like three or four movies uh, sequels planned. You know, you've got Star Wars ones. He's supposed to be in all of them, from what I understand. They're talking about another Raiders movie, and uh, I'm trying to remember. There was one other that when they said they're gonna he was gonna be at. I was thinking really. <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be kind of hard if he kills himself. Yeah, that was today. Yeah, this, this afternoon, you know, Pacific Coast. Whoa! I mean, I'm looking at the battleship, not pop. You know how you have the pop ups, and it's like uh-huh. I just thought that was interesting, real quick. Oh, some of the comments also on this were since he's got that that vessel and the scanning and the time, they were saying maybe he should go look for that other aircraft that was downed and they never did find. 
What are they talking about when they say, oh, the, oh I know the one you're talking about. Uh, I'd have to find the article again. I was way back there. It's the first one that was lost, mm-hmm. and I still speculate if it was deliberately sabotaged and, and crashed, unlike the last one. Right. Yeah, I'm going to think that I'm, for some reason, I have a feeling somebody knows where that's at. I had to, to be the conspiracy theorist there. Well, hopefully uh, he's not tremendously injured. You know. No, they, they did. It wasn't clear. I'm going to assume. I mean, to me, in a plane wreck, it's either live or you don't. There's usually not a whole lot of long-term injury, and it's usually, to me, it seems to be pretty bad. Okay, I just found an update. Uh, Ford suffered multiple lacerations. Only one on board. Uh, his son, Ben Ford. Tweeted from the hospital, he's okay, battered, but okay. Full statement uh, on late Thursday, clarifying he's expected to make full recovery. Cool. That's, that's nice, too. I hate to sort of leave it hanging. I know it's off the subject, but it was squirrel. Yeah. Well, I, I saw that, too. I almost I almost brought it up, but I thought it was a little too off topic to, to intentionally cover, but squirrel trips are fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, uh, go ahead. I, was say, one more, I was looking at the U.S. news one. It had some actual video of the battle carrier or the battleship. Oh, did they? I hadn't seen any video. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I can send you the link, but it's quite interesting. Yeah, I'll watch that after the, the show. I'll yeah. take a look. I'll, I'll peek at that. So I can send it to you. And then we did have one video of the week, which was video of, the, of a Sheboygan shipwreck. This is, uh, I think this is timed coincidentally to help uh, – with the underwater national preserve that they're trying to create up there. The video is of the schooner, which uh, Walter B. Allen that sank in 1880. So he's got some nice video and that looks like this was taken this year. I'm assuming he didn't do it in the last few weeks. I'm trying to look and see what I've got on this one. Now that's Sheborg and that's the word. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's the Wisconsin, Wisconsin side, not the yeah. Michigan side. Yeah. And then it's a potentially cool scuba gear, I guess, kind of really way out there. Uh, scuba gear, if you're going to run a big, giant freighter. Uh, Popular Mechanics was reporting Rolls-Royce showing off its vision of the future of shipping, and specifically it's a uh, bridge concept. I think we talked about this earlier in the year, but they've now got some animated video that shows uh, fancy ergonomic uh, chairs and everything adjusts, and you basically sit in this glass, uh, what do they call that, house bridge? Yeah, bridge. Bridge, and then they superimpose on it. So, like, if you're looking down at the structure of your vessel, and because of the structure, you can't see your crewmen, it will superimpose on the glass where the crewmen are. So it's as if you could see through what's sitting on the deck. And then also in the video, they show the sharing of video between ships. So if you're doing a docking or cabling maneuver, you're able to show the other captain blind spots that he might not be able to see. Since you're talking about major and big ships, mm-hmm. you know, they revamped the Panama Canal, correct? Yeah, the Panama Canal, they've been doing a enlarging project, and many of the vessels that transfer through there were upset, and some large carrier lines had stopped going through the Panama Canal because they didn't want to pay the increased fees. Of course, if you're going to enlarge it, somebody has to pay for it. Well, there was an article in the, I think it was Poplar Mechanics, today. I was just at the library and just quick scanned it. They had a viewpoint, or they had a, for example, a, the, like if you took the ship and cut it in half, mm-hmm. they had a picture of the, the common carriers. Then they had the one, which is a, they said is a bigger one, and then they showed the super ones. The super ones can't get anywhere right now through anything. But the Panama Canal has been enlarged to take the newest version. Mm-hmm. It can carry 10 times as much as the standard uh, freight carrier. And they were designed to carry, um, I think they're called 20-foot cubicles, and the smallest one could carry 4,500 of those. The new ones can cover 10, 10, times, uh, yeah, 10 times that amount. And China just put out a new one that can double that. It cannot get through any lock, even the ones proposed, which brought me up to the second one. I didn't realize they were going to dig the Nicaragua Canal. Yeah, China, uh, it's not done. Nicaragua... Uh, signed uh, an agreement, and that there's still local politics down there that's fighting it. Uh, and China is going to fund that, the digging of that canal. Uh, everybody's, most people in the industry consider that what China's saying as far as time frames is way too quick and the price is too low. So they're kind of skeptical on it, but it's going to be even bigger than the, the one in uh, 
than the Panama Canal. Correct. And one of the issues I understand, though, is it goes through, and if you look at the map, I'm looking at it right now, they're really helped because if we're going to go and, and jump in or cut into a lake, well, the lake is freshwater, and they're trying to figure out how do we keep the freshwater lake from getting polluted with saltwater. Now, obviously, the locks, but, you know, how many, you know, you're going to have some leakage. Right. How long would it take for you screwed up freshwater lake? Well, I think one thing that they need to do right off the bat is require that all ballast be dumped before entering the locks. Well, I was talking about when you're doing the locks, you're normally using seawater. At what point do you use something else or, or, so you don't, you know, well, have I, to practice drying? Well, well, I think you're going to, you, because your locks always go from the highest body of water, fills down to the lock. So then when you leave, that floods the lowest. So as long as your freshwater, which I'd imagine your freshwater lake would be a higher elevation, you are going to be operating your locks with freshwater. Yeah. Uh, but your contamination risk is, you know, your vessels who will pull uh, ballast water, you know, from the ocean, and as they're moving things and adjusting, uh, dumping that. I mean, that's how we got the zebra mussels here. Yeah. Well, they said they started this in December 2014, cost 40 to 50 billion dollars, and there are six. No, yeah, there are six different routes they're looking at to go through, and. Uh, that is interesting because they went through the dynamics of how much it saves if you go through the Panama as a burst going around. And then they're saying even if you make this new canal further up, Nicaragua, the savings that will present. It's amazing how much money you're going to make. Yeah. Well, Samsung uh, must be believing it because they're building the largest cargo ship ever, which is a quarter mile long over four football fields or 1,300 feet. It's being built for the Mitsui OKS line, it'll carry 20,150 shipping containers. And that's 5,000 containers more than the previous largest ship in the world. Can you imagine loading and unloading that? Well, it's, it's yeah. It's going to cost $609 million to build. They said that it will make its money back pretty quickly once it's ready to move freight in 2017. They said the vessel will be staying in the Pacific, though, at 193 feet wide. Now, how big is that new canal? Would it be big enough? They went through Nicaragua? Yeah. No, it wouldn't handle that one. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, there was an article on the uh, that of uh, the back. You know, they they had a sort of like a union strike on the uh, West Coast for shipping. Oh, that's been that's been bad. And I, right. I, I, and I it's now resolved, and they've it, got the, the the ships are parked 15 miles out, waiting to get in because they're so jammed. Yeah. Now, did they? So it did get settled. Yeah, it's resolved. Yeah, I, I, I was following it, and there was so much propaganda on it, I couldn't figure out who was in the right and wrong. Well, part of the items, other than who's in the right or wrong, I was looking at that we're talking about, if you were trying to smuggle something into this country, now's the time to do it because they cannot check everything in any kind of expeditious fashion. They get rid of the bottleneck they've already created. Yeah, well, the the fruit growers are the ones who are trying to export were just being killed by this. Yeah. Uh, and then we have, I hadn't seen any supply chain constraints because of it, but it was going to get pretty bad. I don't care what we have going out there. We can screw it up somehow, can't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't take long. And this was people fighting, and they were just, the propaganda was so thick, so heavy both sides. It's like I wanted them both to lose. It's like, okay, if you two can't play, you get out, and every you know, a new group takes over. Yeah, close the sandbox. Yeah, because that's what it was, is that you know, there's going to be you know, there's a handful of people on each side who are going to make out on it, and everybody else is going to get screwed. You, know, you had one side that was saying that labor was doing work slow, and then you had labor was saying that the, the owners were had cut one out of three shifts out to make an intentional backlog. So it was just not, and, and it was getting, you know, by the time you hear about it, you know it's going to get bad, and they were actually, I think they did a lockout for a little bit as, as, as part of that. But uh, hopefully it got worked out and everybody's happy and nobody sustained too much economic damage. Because yeah. probably the people who hurt, hurts the most are the ones who don't benefit from it. Yeah. Now, if anybody's interested, take a look at Popular Science, March issue. It's quite interesting. It's a short read. And I just thought I'd put that out since it's nautical in flavor. Yeah. I, I, I used to subscribe to it, but my complaint was they wouldn't deliver every month. I, I went through mine today, and it's amazing how... You know how newspapers are shrinking? Yeah. So are these. Yeah, they're they're getting to just be, you know, 30, 60 pages. And it feels really cheap, too, the, the, the weight of the paper. 
Well, everything's video now. Yeah. Well, you look at it. We're, we're you know we read plenty of content uh, online. Well, and what I don't like about the content, it's not even their content. So you go to the popular website and you look, and they cite Gizmodo and and other sources. So they're just yeah. curating it. So you kind of wonder, should I pay to subscribe? And and I'm in that industry. I mean, that's how it's what that feeds feeds me and the family is people publishing magazines. Okay, well, let's say that does it for the news. Now, this last weekend was Our World Underwater. I didn't get a chance to go, but I understand that you and Jim did. Yep, uh, I did post some stuff on the club site. Actually, I think I put them on Facebook, too, for the club. And I tried to give a little mix, if anybody's there looking through it, of what was there, what it looked like. And I started out showing you getting in, and then the itinerary of where things were located and the topics mm-hmm. that you could have gone to the you know, to the presentations. And uh, then I went ahead and tried to hit some of the booths, and if you went to it, it's like there's a little bit of everything out there. And I almost believe they had less advertisements for travel this time than they did last year. Oh, that'd be good. I mean, not that I, I don't like this, but it just, that's not what I'm going there for. And now, I, think I, I, sent you, I think I sent you one that I thought was interesting was uh, they had one table strictly on, since we've been talking about lionfish and catching them, they actually had a, the lionfish cookbook. And then they had uh, the gloves that you'd use to handle those, which I found interesting. And then PVC tubes with a, like a rubber diaphragm over it, cut in, in four pieces, so when you put your hand in, it's hard to get your hand back out. And that's what they would catch the fish, stick them in that, take their prong out, and the fish were caught in the tube so you could catch a bunch of them. So I found that interesting. That's why I took a picture, and I think I sent that one to you. Yeah, and I did see the uh, photo with the, uh, what was that, some sort of sea creature. Yep, that was, well, that was the, uh, now those uh, little stuffed animals are, are a lot more attractive and more fun to handle than the real sea lion, but if you look at the fish, the cookbook, off to the right there, it looked like a freeze-dried one that looked like a real one, and you had your stuffed animal ones. Uh-huh. Well, I thought it was interesting you got a cookbook for those, and it, I'd still like to try one just to see what they taste like. Yeah. So now, I tried to give a little flavor of all the different gear, and a lot of people were looking at um, DUI suits. I mean, a lot of other ones, too, but there was heavy emphasis on safety diving and environmental diving. You mean as far as a career? As far as equipment that was displayed, usually it was full face with like a biking suit, so it's easy to decon with both surface and scuba supply there. Heavy duty, though, on rescue stuff with camo, camera systems, just awesome stuff. So I tried to get a little perspective of what that was, and if you looked at it, you can pretty much see. You name it, they probably had it there, even mermaids. Yeah, I I did see the mermaid photo. Uh So how many mermaids were there? There was only one, and she was there for a short time because she was cold. Oh, well, I mean, you could put her in a jacuzzi or something. Well, I I tried to put my arm around and get a little warm there, and then uh, Jim, being the gentleman that he is, he came up and put his coat on her. Turn it. (laughs) Well, he was thinking, you know, planned out like that. Yeah. You would think that the sponsor who who brought the mermaids might want to see that they were warm, but... Yeah, you know, like maybe put a heater near her or a little blower that would blow warm air on her. Yeah. Uh, now, so you said the dry suits were popular. Was there anything new in dive lights this year? Uh, I'm trying to see. Well, they had the Wounded Warrior program, of course, there. Uh, they had the um, the Dive Heart. They were there again. Uh, very good if you're not, that, you know, you support the veterans, basically. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. I'm trying to look at a particular item here. I was looking at rebreathers. There were not as many as there were last year, and I didn't see any of the new Poseidons, the Sevens. Right. They didn't have any of those, but they did have a lot of different dry suits. And a couple of enterprising people had wetsuits. You know, pick one you like, half price. Whatever the price is, it's 50% off. Really? So if you're a relatively warm water diver, you could have picked up some good bargains. And I'm sure some of the stuff that's sort of like you had boxes of different boots, Six, seven, eight, nines, and tens. If you have bigger feet than that, you're out of luck. Well, that would be my problem. Yeah, but uh, we enjoyed it. Well, that was good. Cool. Was it, how was attendance? Was there a lot of people? Um, I don't think they had as many booths. Again, also, well, obviously, if they didn't have as many um, trip people, you know, vacations and stuff, they, uh, that was down. And that's usually reflective because their attendance is getting as well again. It goes in a big cycle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So it did not appear to me that the attendance was, again, like it has been in the past, but it is cycling. So I think what they need to do is get a big pool, you know, set up a pool, you know, glass-walled, 
you know, 100 feet long, 20 feet high, 40 feet wide, and then do something in it. Make it an event. They have like a competition. Well, they used to have something similar to that. In the old days, they used to have um, what you call it decompression because we were, we were at a hotel down in Chicago that actually had swimming pool. And you could go up there at the end of the day and you'd swim and decompress. Uh, obviously, other other liquids were available other than the pool. Mm-hmm. And all the activities was in one location. And we'd, there, we'd be there for three days. But again, that's the old versus the new. Yeah. I was trying to look up the original item for our world because I think there's three of those now. <clears throat> and I might also be taking away participation because it's in three different locations now. Yeah, this is the, this is the last one, actually. I think it starts in December. I'm trying to remember there was three dates, but this is the last of the three shows. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, because you had Lone Star State, Texas. That was in January. Phoenix was earlier. That was, take that back, Phoenix is last. That's December 5th and 6th, yes, 2015. Yes, you had Chicago. That. Yeah. So this is the second out of three. Yeah. Well, if you're a professional and you would normally go to it, if you had one in your area, you might not decide to go to the one in Chicago. Yeah. So they could have diluted the, the brand a little bit. Well, that's good. Then, so what's coming up this weekend? I think we have another scuba show. Yes, we do. And I think I put some items on it. That's the Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival. And that's uh, this weekend in Ann Arbor. And uh, presentations start at 9, so that means we're going to be on the road by 6.30. And they've got basically the seminars. You've got what they call the Great Lakes Main Auditorium, and they're talking about uh, shipwrecks, the moral, um, cutter rescues, D-Day sunken secrets. Then they've got Die of the World, and that's like uh, the Giants of Cortez, the Philippine style. So you're talking about films of different areas. And I go to the technical educational where they're going to be talking about regulator freezings, why they freeze, how to fix them up. Uh, a really nice session on solo diving versus buddy diving. Uh, what I'm looking forward to is 10 things my instructor didn't teach me. Uh, Rick is going to get, Rich is given that one, by the way. Oh, Rich Sinowick. Yep, he's given yeah, that one. Divers Incorporated, that will be, and also of Divers Sink. Yep, and uh, Caribou Hunters, and we talked about that. Remember the uh, Lake Huron Land Bridge we were talking about yes. a couple months ago? Uh, there's going to be a presentation on that. Then, of course, Lost Legends of the Lakes and Great Oh, uh, We did not find LaSalle's ship either. That's going to be interesting. That's by Ralph Wilbanks. Oh, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. Flight customer fame. So that's the ones I'm going to go through. It sounds interesting. And yeah, well, I'm not well, sure what their displays are, but it'll be fun. Wilbanks tends to go to that one almost every year, doesn't he? It seems like it. I've seen him there a couple of times. I think that's the last time I saw him was there. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. You went with us on that one, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he, that he was, was talking. That was the one where you were harassing him about denying your permit once. Oh, yeah, I wasn't really harassing him. <laughs> I just remembered back when he, in the old days, when he was a young and crocket, well, not a very nice person sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't have a millionaire funding your hunting expeditions, I could see that make you a little cranky. Yeah, I suppose. But that was back when he worked at the University of South Carolina in the archaeological department. And they were doing, that's when they started out diving permits for diving in some of the uh, rivers and stuff. And I had issues with it at that time. Mm-hmm. Still do, but what can I say? Not that you'd have given him a hard time about that. No, but, you know, he does come up here and it's really nice. Cause they're, they're still looking for the Chikora and the uh, 2501 at yeah. Airline. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you'll have some information from this. You can ask him and say, hey, any chance you're going to be back in Lake Michigan in this year? Right. I, I assume Jim was going to be working this weekend, and that's why he wouldn't be going, because I know he hates to miss talking to Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a spot now for when because Ralph always seems to stop in there at Wolf's. Yeah. He's diving in Lake Michigan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people like Wolf's. Like for marine stuff, I to me, it drives me nuts. It, to me, it's a boat junkyard sometimes. Well, so that, to, that's where you find that weird part you need. Well, exactly, and that's why the some of those guys like it, because you know, everybody can go to a West Marine, they're, they're dotted all over, but there's only one Wolf's. Well, yeah, at the West Marine, you've got to know what you want, and you ask for it. At Wolf's, you can go there and rummage through the shelves. Yeah. And that's fun. Yeah, and, and you may have a part that he bought original for it, for whatever you needed 40 years ago, and it's still there in the shelf. Yeah. Uh, but uh, see, I'll be going... Uh, I'll be taking Ken with me. Mary Beth is going to go with me. Uh, I did have two more people. I had a full house, but uh, Sir Larry can't go for other issues. And then uh, Dave, my other guy buddy, uh, he says, well, to be there at 630, I'd have to get up at 4 to get to your house. So he said, 
Now that I think about it, I don't think I will. <laughs> so I, I had room for one more, so I was curious if you were going or not. Well, I, I was planning on it. In fact, Jim Cleveland and I were both planning on, on going, but family obligations have jumped in the way of it again, yeah. which, as I was saying before the show, I think the next six years, it's, it, I'll be lucky if I see anything. Of course, my daughter is just about to the point of getting her driver's license, and we're vehicle shopping now for uh, so maybe I might get some time. Well, as always, you can follow us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. We're also on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. On Twitter, at scubaobsessed. You can subscribe and listen. Download the WRVO radio app. We're one of the shows that are on there. So if you like listening to things about the great outdoors, that is one of those apps that you want to get. So you can listen. On, that's on WRVO radio. And let's see, was there another name there for that? Scrolling through my notes. But I put, I put together a lot of notes, don't I? <laughs> yeah. So WRVORadio.com is the website, or RenoViolaOutdoors.com. Yeah, we're getting to that time of the year. So right right now we've been, it's been below zero Fahrenheit or just above. Seems like the last two or three weeks. But with that 50s coming up, we're going to start warming up pretty quick here, I would think. I wouldn't mind a year where we go from winter to to spring like instantly. I just wouldn't mind getting rid of that three foot pile of snow by my mailbox and by my front of the garage door. Now is it in a spot where it's going to be shaded? Say what? Is it going to be one of those shaded spots where in June you still have the three inch crust of ice? I swear to God, it feels like it sometimes. (laughs) I'm just hoping all this freaking frozen stuff kill those moles under underground there. I hope they didn't dig deep enough. Yeah, you can hope that. But, uh, I mean, we didn't have a lot of snow cover this year, so there's a chance the cold got down. Uh, if we had a lot of snow cover, I would say they would have they would have dodged it. I'm looking for flies and mosquitoes to be killed. You always hope that they get, yeah, you, you want that mosquito report. They say it's going to be a light season. Uh, it'll be interesting. Well, you got anything you want to plug? Oh, wherever Mother Nature is, you know, uh, you turn the heat back up. In this neck of the woods, uh-huh. and uh, send it where she is, not here. I think they're what they got that storm all the way from Texas all the way up to Massachusetts. Yeah, we we kind of missed that. I I think they couldn't tell us we we're gonna have a winter storm because we just said, yeah. And what do we have now? Yeah. Uh, but there, there, I heard some people in Texas were complaining because they shut everything down, and as cold as it got was 36 with no ice. And so you, you think about what the economic impact of that was. Mm-hmm. I know it's not nice, but better than than me. Yeah. Well, we I so are we ready for that time of the show? I think so. Okay. Well, I've, I both of these jokes. In fact, I may even have to bleep myself on one of these. So, but I think if I have to bleep myself, everybody will be able to figure out what it was. But this uh Okay. This, this first one was actually from uh one of my brother-in-laws. He posted it on Facebook. And uh not so much a joke, but just kind of a comment. And it says, "Boobs are like the sun. You can stare at them directly for just a few seconds, but if you put on sunglasses, you can stare at them as much as you want." <laughs> Uh, a lot of truth to that. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm going to get a couple pairs of sunglasses now. The question is, do you get the ones with the mirror finish or the less yeah. obvious ones? You know, I, I've had mirror some sunglasses twice, and I and I lose them within 24 hours. So I consider them cursed. So I've never bought any more. So it's usually just a really dark tint. I've never had a mirrored set, but they look cool. But yeah, maybe I just wasn't cool enough for the glasses. They they left me. <laughs> Now, uh, here's the next one. This is the one we may have to bleep out. And this is a letter that was sent to the Lions Bay School Principal Office in West Vancouver. This is after the school sponsored a luncheon for seniors. An elderly lady received a new radio at the lunch as a door raffle prize. It was writing to say thank you. Uh, Dear Lions Bay School, God bless you for the beautiful radio I won at your recent senior citizens luncheon. I'm 87 years old and I live in West Vancouver, home for the aged. All my family has passed away, so I'm all alone. I want to thank you for the kindness you've shown to a forgotten old lady. My roommate is 95 and has always had her own radio. She would never let me listen to it. She said it belonged to her long-dead husband and understandably wanted to take uh, care of it and keep it safe. The other day, her radio fell off the nightstand and broke into a dozen pieces. It was awful. She was in tears. She asked if she could listen to mine, and I was overjoyed to tell her to f*** off. Okay. So that's yeah, that's, that's the letter they got. What a heart heart heartwarming story. Yeah, one of the cockles of my heart. 
<laughs> is that a crotchety old person? I, I guess that would qualify as crotchety. That would uh, that 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 gets in there. But I think when you're ninety, what was your roommate was ninety five. She was eighty seven. So yeah, I, I think you get to do that. It's, it's loud. That's what you guys have to expect huh, in the future for me, huh? Yeah, yeah. Keep you on the show. You know, knock your radio off. On that note, until the next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.